Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD on Twitter. I'm also the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass teaching you the entire game theory of DFS. Theoryofdfs.com. Joining me this week, uh, filling in for uh, for Eric Bime for special guest, uh, actually uh, Eric's co-host. On a, a premium show on Roto-Grinders called Q-Hunting, which I think is extremely valuable. I know you guys have been doing it even for, for NBA. You're behind the paywall at Roto-Grinders usually. You're usually yeah. on crunch time, and, and rightfully so, because uh, we we got John Breslin here. Squirrel Patrol, who I like. I like your Twitter description is basically uh, the, the guy that you see on top, uh, above you, on, on most contests on DraftKings and FanDuel. And I, I, wa- I wanted to bring you on because uh, on, on this show, we talk about, like, just like the tagline to my course, how to think like a professional DFS player. Would you would you consider yourself, I know the term is kind of nebulous, like, would you consider yourself a professional DFS player? Yeah, I would. Because uh, I, I quit my job almost two years ago to the day. <laughs> so so it's about as professional as you can get. But I do, I agree. I think that term is, like, thrown around a little bit too much. Um, cause like, I don't know, you know, I, 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 I don't, I'm not going to play DFS the rest of my life, right? I'm going to do something else. <laughs> so, so like, I, I kind of think of myself as taking some time off of work and, you know, fortunate enough to have made enough money at DFS to, to take some time off of my real job. Um, so I guess that makes me a professional DFS player. What was your real job? So I did like software consulting. Um, actually I, I made pretty good money. <laughs> doing, like doing like IT, like project management type stuff. Um, I did like some software. It was it was hard to find like specialists in this kind of software. Um, and so yeah, I, was, I kind of specialized in like this human resources software, and then like did IT project management. And so is it is it the type of thing very similar to me? Like I did digital marketing. I did web development. I I could go out right now and probably get. Get a job. Get a job that that pays as much as I make now. The only difference is is that uh, it's one o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm in a, I'm in my pajamas and I don't have a boss. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it's probably the you know, same field of like of IT technology and like um, like kind of contracting your hours out. You know, you're literally getting, you know, like charging a client per the hour. Um, you know, for your work kind of thing. Right, um, but I but I I'd much I'd much rather uh, I'd much rather look over uh, whether or not. Uh, you know, I could play some contrarian non-Nikola uh, Vucevic lineups tonight than then worry about some clients, you know, some software or campaign or something that's going on. Yeah, yeah, it depends. I go, I, I feel differently different dates. Like, sometimes I actually miss going into an office, but, like, it probably wasn't that way for the first, like, year and a half. <laughs> um, you Do you know, feel that way mostly on losing days? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can go into it, right? Like the, the psychology of, of like DFS playing is, is can be brutal, right? So, um, so yeah, on losing days, it's like, and yeah, I mean, losing stretches, like it's my my wife's been like, how's the job search going? <laughs> you know, I'm like, um, well, you've yeah. you've had a good run, like you the the, the past month. Uh, yeah, I mean, so great, but great. I mean, I don't, I think a lot of people, yeah, it's very that's Instagramification of everything of like. You see everyone's greatest moments, and then you're you're in you're into yourself. So you don't get the yeah yeah. Maybe the last time we haven't seen a screenshot from you is three months. But to to me, it's it's almost like it happens more often than not because I'm following a whole bunch of people. Uh, yeah, I I don't think people understand like 
if if you're if you're a very successful player, very profitable player, just how often you do lose. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all screenshots and rainbows, right? Like it's <laughs> like if you if I haven't seen a screenshot from a top player in a while, it's like oh somebody somebody go check on him and make sure he's okay, right? <laughs> like um it's yeah, I you lose all the time. And like I, I lose for long stretches. Like I've had, you know, times where I've lost like three, four months in a row. And it's it's terrible. And like I, I've heard you say that if if you don't question whether or not like you should still be playing at least once or twice a year, like you're not playing seriously enough, right? <laughs> like like you like guys that play every day, like go through these long stretches and, and think like, I right, I've lost it. And we're like haunted by the, the first couple of guys who were really successful at DFX were like Sahil Sud uh, and Kandia, right? And like the, the rumor is, and like kind of you know, fairly confirmed rumors, they both went bust, right? Like they both won millions and millions of dollars and then lost it. And it's like that thought that like, man, like when what's the exit strategy right? if you're a D, you're a DFS player because you don't want to be that guy that loses it and no one taps you on the shoulder and says like, yeah, everybody's passed you by, and then like you, it's just straight downhill. Yeah. Do Do you think okay from from your opinion? Uh, because uh, I we've been playing for about the same amount of time. I still I started in October 2015. When did you start? I started like in late 2014, but I you know then I kind of ramped up throughout 2015, played more and more. Um, and so yeah, like I I started pl- playing like pretty heavily. I think like summer fall of 2015. Do you th- okay? So the question is, uh, I mean, I think we could both agree that DFS. From 2012 and DFS in like 2015, 16, like the boom period and DFS now are, are like they're, it's like different eras of like, like the edge against the field and the predominant strategies. How much does, do more people know? It's similar in poker where like 1983, like 1960 versus 1985 versus 2003 versus now it's like, you know, the knowledge that, that could beat the games in 2003, like, no longer cuts it now. Do you believe that uh, when we talk about, you know, previously successful players, uh, not necessarily going bust, but, you know, not showing the positive returns that they did, do you think it's more due to uh, the field getting better? Is One of three things, I think. The field getting better... Two, not improving your own game or variance. And I, and I think, because uh, I, from my viewpoint, it's like, it's like, like guys like Kandia and Sahil, I think would be fine now. It's just that there's, that, like, you play like, like everyone play, everyone knows what they knew in 2014. Yeah. So it's like, they'd still be competitive now, but not as dominant but still, the variance is so high that you could be that you could be good and still go broke without good bankroll management. But there are also instances where there are guys that used to be good in 2012 that essentially are losing players now. So, what do you think is the most predominant case of the you know having a great player that mm-hmm. somehow just like over a three year period is like whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't, I don't know. I think like maybe bankroll management, like you know, like if they, like if they've gone bust, it was probably bankroll management, right? Like they probably put in too much on every slate. Um, 
I guess I don't know where we are on the curve. I, that's a big question for me because recently, like I, you're, you know, I'm coming off of two great months, and recently I've been wondering: is the average player getting worse? Like, is because oh, so you like, think FanDuel, it's the opposite? Do you think the average player is actually getting worse? Yeah, because I think like FanDuel and DraftKings are doing a ton of marketing for like for the sports book, and I wonder if there's a bunch of people that are coming in from the sports book side now, right? Like, cause like sports book and maybe it's just my little bubble, right? Cause I live in Virginia and we just got like, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings just went live. William Hill, you know, sports books all just went live within the past couple of weeks. And I wonder if the sites are doing a ton of marketing, right? Like the DraftKings logo was behind the uprights in the, the Super Bowl. Like are people going to play sports bets and then going kind of wandering, kind of like they would wander into the poker room or something, right? Like wander into the fantasy sports lobby and going like, what is this? You know, like, oh, for five bucks, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Right. So, again, I, I actually wonder if part of the reason I've been doing so well in the last couple of months is maybe the, like we're seeing a ton more beginner players. But I don't I don't know. But it's not. But, but that see the sign, a sign of a very good player is that you're you're attributing your success due to the weakness of other people's play rather than the brilliance of your own. Yeah, well, because, yeah. <laughs> well, but, but the, to me, that's the sign of a good player. Like, you, you go, well, it, I, long run, I have, an, I have an edge, and I got, and it happened this late, and, like, it's not like, oh, well, I called this, and I call like, typically, like, I find that good players are more likely to say, yeah, I got lucky to win $100,000 than to, like, beat their chest over it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, I've, but, but you but you think but you think uh, I have a, a similar opinion to you, but I, a little bit more nuanced. So when you talk about uh, like people say like DFS is dying, but if you take a look at the user growth on both platforms, it's been up year over year every year. I think I think it comes down to uh, the the old school mentality, which which we see which we see a lot that that eighty twenty, like okay you play eighty percent cash games and then you play twenty percent. Like the 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 double ups like that the head to head lobby the what we consider to be cash games you know it's using a poker terminology for that is that the people that are wandering in to daily fantasy from the sports book like they're the ones that are making eight leg parlays like they're they're not they're not playing a ten dollar double up they're playing the you know oh the fifteen dollar fadeaway or the eight whatever the main GPPs are and that is the onesies and twosies are coming into that. Yet in the cash games, like it's it's much more cutthroat because people that are more likely to play double ups and head to heads and play a hundred contests here are more likely to be at least serious players, seriously enough that they're probably not making as big mistakes. So when people say that DFS is dying, they may be attributing the 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 liquidity in in DFS is going heavily towards GPPs. And then they're yeah. noticing that, oh, I can't cash in double ups anymore. Uh, where are all the bad players that there used to be there? It's like, well, they're all sitting in the eight there. They're all making $8 lineups into the large field GPP where you're building 150 and trying to take advantage of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I do. I think the casual player is playing more tournaments. And I, I think like it's been going that way for years where like, like people, like the, the guy you want to play against is the guy who's at a bar entering one $8 lineup trying to win a hundred thousand dollars, right? No matter what the payout structure is, right? Like they want to win the hundred thousand dollars and they, they kind of expect to lose. <laughs> you know, that's the player that I want to play against. 
And like, I think that's like, that's the casual player. And like, that's like, you've like the average player in, I think in cash games has been getting sharper and sharper for years. And I think the average player, I, 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 I speculate that the average player in tournaments right now, maybe over the last you know few months is getting worse. But the, I, I, it's just speculation. Okay. Well, I have, I have, I, I'll posit a, a cause for this. Do you think, Okay, because we had we had these revolutions in DFS. 2012, it was Wild West. It was if you if if you knew the guy wasn't even injured, like you, that was an edge. Like just the information was not out there. Then in 2016, we started getting more tools, right? Tools and content, and it was much more prevalent to know like what the good plays were, right? What the good that they were decent. They were preliminary, rudimentary projection models and tools and optimizers. Now we're getting to the point in 2021 where like I can't I can't build a better model than what I could pay for, than what I could get from like roto grinders. Like I know that or that's not I'm not going to beat it that way. Uh I've always said in GPPs and it's the main reason why I used to play primarily large field GPPs is that the bigger edge now is not the the shit lineups. Not the not the Joe Schmo didn't realize that that uh, that Chris Paul was out and he has him in his lineup type of lineups. To me, it's the people that are trying to utilize tools without understanding DFS strategy and are essentially like when projection slaves. Like I'm mm-hmm. a, I, I'm big into projections, but as far as like viewing a median as a prediction, going I'm going to build a hundred lineups that all have high projection and and no leverage and like yeah you're building 100 lineups and you cash 40 of them min cat like like they're they're slowly bleeding their money away using tools using the information that's out there but truthfully they're building worse lineups because they're just I all I have to do is press a button set uniques to two put a little randomness and where's my money and you you download the CSVs and you see like like 20% of the contests are like these cash lineups, essentially like cash lineups, triple up lineups. And in the large field GPPs, like it's, it's absurdly hard to win slates that way. Unless like you nail everything perfectly. And the high score is 430. Like, like, is that what you view as like the average player has gotten worse, even though the average player has more information and tools at their disposal? I, so I think that's the factor. I, I do think there are there are people, but that's even like a step beyond the casual player. Like I think there's there's guys, yeah, that are kind of beyond just sitting at you know sitting on the app and they enter one lineup a week or whatever. I think there's guys that are that are into it and they've got some tools, but like, yeah, they they don't know how to use those tools, right? So they're using projections, um, but they're yeah, like they're just entering 150 like the 150 most optimal lineups, right? Like from Rotor Grinders or something. And that's not, that's not going to win you money in a tournament. Um, so I, I think that's a factor too. But I, I think we're seeing a more of an influx of like totally brand new users, I think. But I don't know. I don't have, like, I, I should probably know this. Right, <laughs> you, probably you're know right. This. You should probably look like, and do. Of the companies. But I just, I think like particularly, like I played a lot of like double ups for the Super Bowl, right? Because I was thinking like people... Like, you know, people are going to play, be playing DraftKings for the first time. And I noticed, I thought there was, like, an absurd number of, like, guys without the stripes, right, on, on DraftKings playing, like, the double-ups on for the Super Bowl. 
Um, so I, I think we're getting an influx of new users, but I, I don't know. But enough so that the onesies and twos, I call them the onesies and twosies, because these aren't people that are playing 50 lineups or 100 lineups. These are people who are playing one lineup, two lineup. You be, you believe that there's more of them now in comparison, because some people would say the opposite, right? Because some people, I mean, it may be a, a, mis, a, a misconception that, oh, like the, 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 the large field contests are flooded with 150 maxers. And uh, I think a lot of people miss the the correlation versus causation argument. Like you're someone, you're someone that would get targeted, John, right? You play 150 lineups. How am I supposed to, how, how am I supposed to compete against you? I'm playing one lineup. You're playing 150. Like you have an unfair advantage against me. And I always, I always say, I always say, then play 150 bad lineups. Like all it does yeah. is, is, is make you go broke quicker. So to me, if you see someone that has been entering 150 lineups across multiple sites for months upon years, like that's survivorship bias. Like though they, the best, they, it's not because they're entering 150 lineups that they're good. It's they're good. So they enter 150 because if you keep on entering 150 and you're bad, we're not going to see you entering 150 anymore. You're not going to be in the lobby anymore. You're going to be broke. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, man, it used to be 500 too. Like I actually, I won my first tournament win was uh, yeah, $50,000 win. I remember in baseball, it was like, I, I uploaded it to DraftKings and it cut off. I was uploading 500 lineups <laughs> and it's, it, it, I only got to like two, 237 and the lineup that won the 50,000 was like lineup 233 out of 237. And so like, if I, if I just a split second off, like I, you know, wouldn't have won that $50,000. But um, yeah, so, so like I even think in like 150 lineup sets, right? Like, so when I look at a slate, I'll think about like how many games there are and like how many game stacks do I want to do and like, I'll think of that in terms of 150 lineups and like, there'll be like, you know, maybe the superstar players in a bad matchup. I don't want a lot of them. So yeah, I want eight lineups, right? Cause I want about eight out of 150, you know, with that, with that guy, with that player in the lineup. Um, cause I, yeah, cause I play mostly 150 max entries. So yeah, I even think in terms of 150 lineups. Right. So it's a, it's, it's like, a, it's like a portfolio. Yeah. yeah like exactly. you, you view, you view your 150 set as if you're playing like, Here's a portfolio of lineups. They all contain either one strategy, two strategies, three, different combinations of strategies. And yeah. if that, that strategy is the successful route to first, you have 150 outs to get there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of try to think of it in terms of what could happen on this slate. And then, like, how do I represent all of those possibilities in 150 lineups? Right. And, then like so, and, then so, and sometimes it means that you're condensed on a couple of players in certain positions and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you're much more diverse. So to me, I I, I view that not necessarily as a strategy, but more as a product that the the diversification is the product of the strategies. So, because people, I think misappropriate, I think good play. Would you agree with this? I think good players talk when, when max MME type players, Talk in terms of exposures only because it's easier to represent your strategy of of specific lineups by exposures, but the exposure is just a byproduct of the strategy. So when I say, "Oh, I'm uh, like yesterday with Demarcus Cousins," if I told you I was uh, I, I I've 
in 150 lineups, I'm 20. I'm under the field on DeMarcus Cousins. Does that mean I don't like DeMarcus Cousins? It just means that, like, you know that my strategy is going to be to play like like a Kaminsky, either go down at center or go up and play Jokic at center and build those types of lineups because obviously I need a center and I'm not playing the chalk center. And it's also more likely that maybe I do have Beal in more of my lineups because I'm already getting leverage by fading Cousins. But you would get all of that information by me just saying I'm under on Cousins, but it doesn't mean I can't make Cousins lineups. It just means yeah. that, okay, here, if, if you told me that yesterday you were, uh, you know, heavy on uh, on Luca, right? I'd be like, okay, that means he's probably playing less Beal. He's probably, because just by the, the construction type means that you're not, that if you're going to play Luca and Cousins, like you're probably not playing Beal because then your lineups will be too chalky. You're, you're probably, maybe you're, maybe, maybe you didn't swap to Booker. Maybe you're playing Michael Bridges in the small forward spot instead. Maybe you're playing Baisley over SGA. Like I could, I could visualize what your lineups kind of look like, but to the average player, it just, if you, if I said I was underweight on Cousins, they would view it as, oh, I don't think Cousins is going to do well. Like I think he's overowned. But really, what I'm saying is that I'm employing a strategy in more of my lineups without Cousins than with Cousins. And if I say I X him out, that means I just I'm choosing to diversify to have no diversification. Just like, nope, I'm hoping that Cousins busts and that's it. But it doesn't represent how I feel how he's going to do. Yeah, it's, I, yeah, and that's an important distinction, right? Like I think. Uh, people are always asking for picks, right? And like, who do you think is going to do well? And it's like the base question that somebody asks in, in of a content guy or whatever. Like, what do you think about this player? And like, there might be like, I might like him in some lineups, but not others, right? And and even if I decide I I'm totally going away from him, doesn't necessarily mean like I'm totally committed to the idea that I think he's going to fail. It just might mean that I think he's going to be overowned, right? So I'm going to go try to go for a strategy tonight where I'm going to go way under the field. And therefore, like, if because I think he's going to be hugely owned. So if he busts, then I'm, you know, suddenly I'm skyrocketing all of my lineups like to the top of the field. Right, and then, but the choice could be that you could say I'm lock buttoning Cousins and building strategies that are around him, the ch- him yeah. as chalk being well. But now you're now now you're finding leverage somewhere else. So I think I right. think mo- many average players. I mean, th- I mean, I distill it down to like stupid facetious comments, as you know. Right. You know, lineups, not players. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, that's what that means. Or play whoever you want. Like, what does that like? Like, dude, play cousins. Don't play cousins. Play Beal. Don't play Beal. Like, just build a lineup that that is has low enough ownership and high enough projection that could win whatever contest that you're in. And it could contain fucking to anyone practically. Right. Yeah. Yeah, my my favorite criticism of content is like, oh, these guys just keep all the good players to themselves. Like, <laughs> like I have some kind of like fortune ball. Yeah, you know, here you know, like I, I can tell like, oh, I know things distinctly enough that like this guy is gonna do well and this guy is not. So I'm gonna like, I'm gonna hype this guy. Like, it's like I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. Well, I mean, I, I I've always said like like my one of my biggest wins was with Garrett Temple, two percent owned, putting up forty five points for the Grizzlies. And he was 3,700. And people had like, what, what put you on to Garrett Temple? I go, nothing. He was 3,700 in a small forward. And on that construction, yeah. he had a median of like, like 19 and it fit into that lineup. And he just so happened to have a 95th percentile outcome. But like, 
I didn't specifically like, oh, this is a good spot for Garrett Temple. It's like, no, it just, that's the way the math worked out. And he was the guy that was in there. Yeah. Like, so 18 or 19 is like a special projection for me in NBA. Cause so many times I'll be running lineups, right. And there's a change in the last 10 minutes. And it's like, oh, this guy's moving into the starting lineup. He's 3,500 on FanDuel. He's, you know, he's 3,300 on DraftKings. Like, what's his projection? Like, I don't know. I have no idea. 19, <laughs> right? Like, and I know, like, 18 or 19 is going to get me is going to get me that player in some amount of lineups, but not too many. Um, just the way I, you know, I'm running my lineups. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's right, and, the, and those types of and, – and if he if he gets 25 or 27, like, typically those are the lineups that have studs. Like, those are the stars and scrubs types of constructions. So if you happen to have that guy at 3% own that goes for 28 at 3,300 – but you have Giannis plus LeBron in your lineup, and Giannis and LeBron both go for 70-plus. Like, he's the core that you needed that 3,300. Like, you order, in order to get that lineup construction, you needed that guy. And But the thing is, if you when you project it out, you know how many that guys there could be? that are, Like, when you say 19, it's like, yeah. dude, on a 10-game slate, there could be like 10 or 15 of, like, someone that's like 26 minutes and barely, like... 0.7 fantasy points per minute, then it's like, if he happens to walk into more minutes or someone else gets into foul trouble, like, that could be the guy, but, like, dude, f- feel free to feel free to try to fortune tell who that guy's going to be. But yeah. if you're building lineups with those constructions, you're naturally going to get 4% of this one, 5% of that one. So when people see your lineup, oh, uh, Scarborough Patrol won $100,000, and they had, and he had John Concher, in right. there, right? And and people are like, like, what puts you on John Concher? And it it just it, it doesn't amaze it. At least amazes me when people just don't believe. Where it's just like, well, that's just how it ended up. Like, there's no. It's like, what do you mean you didn't know? Like, no, like John Concher was in two of 150 lineups, and that's the lineup that. And my yeah. strategy worked. He happened to be the guy that fit in, and. They're like, no, no, it, it, it can't just be that. There has to be some type of secret sauce. And you're like, there is no secret sauce. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think my live final win, like I had Dilson Herrera is like the guy that always is my is my guy that's that example. Um, yeah, he was 1% owned in the live final and he hit a home run and people are like, what put you on to Dilson Herrera? He was minimum priced. I had I had th- you know thirty five hundred left or whatever, and I had to fill second base. You know, and, right? And so weak and, position yeah. as it is, right? Second base is a weak position in MLB, the middle infield position. So, like, because pe- you have to think in terms of relatively, like in baseball or in basketball, when there's a very weak position, it's not like you have to win the position by that much. We see that with tight end in in football, where it's like as long as no other tight end, as long as you know. Kelsey doesn't go off for 28 or Waller goes off for 28. Like you could win with a seven in your tight end spot. If the highest scoring tight end is only 12, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what a $2,500 tight end in DraftKings means. I don't like Travis Kelsey. doesn't necessarily mean I love that $2,500 tight end. Right. But like, yeah, when that guy scores like three touchdowns, everyone's like, what kind of magic did you, you know, <laughs> like, how did you know? Like, I, I did, just didn't like Travis Kelsey. <laughs> you know? Right, right. I you thought he was over-owned yeah. and you thought the better constructions were, were punting with tight end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, in playing uh, DFS for the past two years, I know that you have uh, 
a background. You went to business school. So you know, yeah. you know something about finance. And uh, the, the, in the past year, I've, I've gotten more into, into the stock market. And obviously that's, okay. that's, that's, you know, big news, GameStop, right? Right, Everyone, people, yeah. Bitcoin, oh my God, Elon tweeted, Bitcoins, you know, Tesla bought Bitcoin apparently. And like, it just like, you could just throw, if, if you're, if, if you're th- putting money in the stock market and your portfolio is not going up, that's, to me, that's the equivalent of like, like if, if, if you're playing against someone that is putting all injured players in their head to head and you're losing, like you probably should quit DFS. Uh, but the economics of playing, cause you play 150 lineups. You're, you're playing high volume. You're, you're much, you're much less of a nit, I guess, than I am. Uh, right, I guess, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, in, in comparison, uh, it's like when I did play large field GPPs, like I 50 lineups, 75 lineups. Like I'd ra- I'd rather build 50 of the best lineups than 150. And I may have, you know, may have to prune some here. May, you know, 653, I, I who knows, you know, I need to change stuff out and then maybe I'm not making good lineups. Uh, how do you treat your play? Like, Because I preach a lot about like diverse, I preach a lot about stuff that a financial advisor would if you were investing into any type of assets, like how how do you treat your play, especially with the sw- the volatility of playing DFS, where it's it's where where your wife isn't nervous? <laughs> well, my wife's nervous. Okay, <laughs> uh, there's no question. But um, there, no, there is a thought, right? Like so, stock portfolio theory, right? The more you diversify your portfolio, like the like the better chance you have at like risk free. Uh, return or like the better your return is compared to the risk in your portfolio so like i do think of that sometimes so you know when i you know we talk about like the portfolio strategy with lineups right like i i've got a portfolio of 150 lineups um so and the more i diversify i think like the less risky it is because like i could i'll have sometimes huge days like i'll i'll enter like a huge you know like thirty thousand dollar you know um i Pool on like, like you know uh, tournament on, on Fanduel right like the the alleyoop at fifteen hundred dollars when put on like twenty two lineups it's like thirty three thousand dollars but I I do not want to lose all thirty three thousand dollars right so I'm not going to have a hundred percent of any player uh, I'm, so I'm diversifying as much as I can to make sure I just don't have those you know yeah I might enter like thirty three thousand dollars in a tournament and that that'd be like probably about the most I would put in but like I want to make sure my lineups are diversified enough that I'm going to be getting some money back no matter what happens. Right. But, but is that based on the allocation that you have on a daily basis? Cause I mean, to me, the risk that you have in your, in a day slate, in a portfolio on a day slate should be proportional to the inverse, truthfully, inversely proportional to the amount that you're allocating. So for instance, it, it, it but people, naturally think the opposite way they go well uh if you're gonna let's say you have whatever x bankroll right and you're playing seriously so the bankroll matters uh if you're playing 10 percent of your bankroll per slate you probably should be as diversified as you possibly can because 10 percent of is 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 a fit that's that's hefty amount percent of your bankroll yet if you're playing one percent of your bankroll per slate you don't have to be if you want to have a non-diverse strategy 
Well, because the risk of ruin on that one slate is only 1% of your bankroll. So if you put in a thousand bucks and get zero back, that's much different than putting in $10,000 and getting zero back because that represents 10% of your bankroll. So do you, do you, I'm not saying that you necessarily have like a direct, like exact calculation, but do you agree with like, because you're putting in $33,000 worth of lineups, you're going to be more diversified. Yet on a slate, if you're playing like, I'm playing a $1,500 qualifier and like, yeah, I'm playing three entries into that or something like that. It's like, if I want to have the same, you know, unique two V2s and all yeah. of them lose, it's like, well, well, $4,500 is much less percent of my bankroll than 33,000 is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that, I think that's a really good way to think, think of it. And like, sometimes I think of it in terms of like, do I want to have X amount of money behind a certain player, right? Because, like, anything can happen. So, like, if, I, if I'm, you know, like, I think about, you know, if I'm putting in $1,000 and I'm going to have 80% DeMarcus Cousins, like, do I want to have $800 worth of DeMarcus Cousins? You know, or, you know, or is that too much? Maybe that's not enough, right? Like, maybe, you know, depending on the way DeMarcus Cousins has been priced on FanDuel recently, like, maybe I want to have even more. But yeah, I'm not, I'll think of it in terms of those, like maybe if it's like Denzel Valentine or something, right? Like, do I want to have you know, $8,000 worth of Denzel Valentine tonight? <laughs> like last night, that was a bad decision. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think uh, probably, yeah, the more of your bankroll that you're putting in, the more diversified you want to be. And and the reverse is true. Too. Like if you're kind of just playing a little bit of your bankroll, then yeah, you can you can go 100% behind any player or any any strategy or whatever it is. You right, you do. can take the riskiest strategies. I mean, I, but but you see how people re- view it the opposite way, right? They're yep. going to play a large field contest, the Micro Millions yesterday on DraftKings. It's a $4 contest. And someone, someone's like, I'm going to play one lineup, right? People go, I'm going to play one lineup into some ridiculously large field GPP. And because I only have one lineup, I'm going to play as safe as possible because that's my only right. lineup. When in fact, you should be thinking the reverse and go, because it's my only lineup, I should be as risky as possible because the $4, it only represents this small portion of my net worth or bankroll or whatever you want to say that I want to maximize the chance of me winning $100,000 rather than maximize my chance of getting, you know, six bucks. Because yeah. going from four to six, when you ha- let's say you have a, let's say you have a $5,000 bankroll. Like, so what's the big deal about going from four to six? If you lose four bucks, what the fuck does it matter? That's a, that's less than a percent. Like, but if you were playing a thousand dollars worth of stuff, then, then I can understand, well, maybe I need to build some safer lineups, but people view, John, people view the 150 maxers as the ones that you get to make crazy lineups, but you're, you're actually explaining how the more volume that you put in, the more you have to almost you have to concern yourself over even having less win equity just so you have like more total equity of the prize pool just in case you're wrong so you get something back yeah yeah exactly and then, i mean not you know not every tournament is a tournament where i'm putting in a huge amount of money but like yeah i mean you've got to be concerned like you're putting in 150 times the entry fees of somebody that's putting in one entry right so yeah so in some some cases like you're playing safer than the guy that's that can put in just one entry right and but but people have that misconception that they you know oh they you know they they always win and if you do the analysis if you looked on results db 
if you look through, and I know uh, a hub bro on, on Twitter does analysis of this like almost every day that it's like, oh, they were, they were 86, 150 maxers and only seven made a profit. Right. Yeah. They're right. <laughs> like, and typically the ones that made a profit are ones that placed the lineup somewhere in the top 10. Right. So like, that's where all the, that's where all the, that's where all the equity is. And people just like poo poo that and still go, well, you're playing 150 lineups and how, how do you lose? And it's like, like, do you have to like the difference between when I played large field, which I still might go back to and you playing large field. I'm not saying it's better. It's just l- less risk is that when I, like when I won the $9 slant on, in, in NFL this past season, like I'm profitable for the whole season. Like there's, there's no chance for me not to be profitable because I'm not, I'm not playing, I'm not playing $25,000 of volume, a slate. So like, like me binking once or twice a year is my year. Yet for you binking once or twice a year could just be the break even point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I had a great like January, great December, great January, and I did a thing because you know, sports memorabilia is like becoming really popular, right? It's getting in a really overheated market. And I thought like I should buy like a one of these fancy uniform trading cards for every player that's won me a hundred thousand dollars, right? So I, I go to my rotor tracker and I'm looking up like because I, yeah, I, you know, what what was me? I can't remember how many hundred thousand dollars tournaments, <laughs> right? So like I go to what a good tracker. problem to have. You lost yeah. track. So I, I look it up and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's actually more than I thought, right? Like I'd have to buy a bunch of these of these guys' cards because – but it, I realized like, yeah, I have more $100,000 wins than I do like $100,000 in the bank, right? Because if you take away all the times that I've won more than $100,000, like if you take away all, all of my $100,000 wins and above, I'm a losing DFS player, Right? So like every time I posted a screenshot of like oh I, I won a hundred thousand dollars it's not really a hundred thousand dollars right it's making up for some losses along the way um, and that that was kind of like I didn't even realize that until last month like I if you had asked me I would have thought like oh I'm you know if you take away all the hundred thousand dollar wins I'm still profitable no that's, no one is what yeah because well that's but that's what you play for I mean that that's the strategy you're employing that's what you're playing for all the equity is in the top spots so. If you're not hitting them, you can't possibly, with a 15% rake, be a profitable player. So when people are like, oh, oh, once you, once you take away, like I do the same thing. Once I take away my 100Ks, my 50Ks, my 20Ks, my 10K, all, all of that, it's like, oh, I'm up like over over a five-year period, I'm up like, uh, like 8,000 bucks. Like that's it. Like that's, but you're building lineups to like, in, in, if you're not trying to hit those spots, you can't, you, it's like, you can't be a profitable player. So to me, you view it as a negative, but that's like, that's how you should be playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you gotta, it's, it's, you know, first or <laughs> first or last, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a crazy lifestyle, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 uh, you know, it, I'm, I'm glad you didn't uh, say that because I get your, you know, what I do is I get the jerseys. I get the okay. jersey of the <laughs> lowest owned guy in the lineup. When I win a yeah. large field GPP, so it's a little bit cheaper. So I can I get the ninety bucks, a hundred bucks. So get that. So you wanted to get the memorabilia, but obviously, I mean, in basketball, I mean, you could you could obviously get one of these 
these these top shots <laughs> uh talking about financial yeah. markets or whatever uh you know i'm 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 anti it or whatever but from a financial perspective like to me like i i i view everything on the lens it is is it is it a nit way to think that like i view you you watch the the pregame show i do on roto grinders and i publicly track my my cash game play and my cash game play is essentially the roto grinders projections so like my my theory behind what i'm doing is I'm trying to set a benchmark very similar to the stock market that people that trade active traders, most don't beat the market. Like it would have been better off if you would just put it into the S and P 500, like, you know, or VTI or, you know, just like just a Vanguard fund. And over the course of five years, you would have actually had more money than by going up and down like this. So like, I'm trying to test the theory of like, well, can I just with diversification, just like just like you would do with the mutual fund and the contests across three sites, like what is that bench what is the benchmark? Is the benchmark profitable? And then I have to determine whether or not my choices on a slate to slate basis is like active trading of am I gonna be able to beat that? If I can't beat the the my projected optimal over the long run, then why don't why don't I just if I I'm going to trade this stock and that stock and go and buy and sell. And by the end of the year, I, Oh, I got a 6% return. And it's like, well, the S and P was up 9% over the year. Like it, it would have been better if you just literally dumped the money in, went on a vacation for a year and then just came back to it. So like, like how do you, how do you, do you, do you view now that you, this is your job and just like we're, 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 we're somewhat degenerates, Right. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're always looking for an like DFS is an investment, right. and you could take part of your bankroll and go. Oh, there's this cool thing going on over here. N- a new site opens up, right? That prop bets or something. You want to get a little dabble in there. You see some edge there. So it's not like we're not like void of like like risk. We're still riskier. I'm a nit, but in the in the grand scheme of life, I'm probably a much riskier normal than my friend that has you know a family and two kids and a mortgage and. And, and, you know, kids go to school and as a retirement fund, they look at me and I'm like, I'm the loose cannon, right? Degenerate, yeah. <laughs> right, right. But in DFS, like I'm, I'm the nit, like, do you, like in your play, do you, do you view, like you're trying to judge your results in comparison to what, like, what would you be considered to be like the benchmark in everything you do? Like, for instance, if I gave you the choice and said, uh, you could either play DFS or you could put the money into a mutual fund, and at the end of the year, if you had more in the mutual, like why would you be playing DFS? So, like, mm-hmm. like I view it that way. Also, the difference between uh, that and DFS is that you're like it's the opportunity cost. Like you could churn, like the compa- like it's got in the in the stock market. It we call compounding, right? You get up, yeah. you get you you compounding works so much better in DFS because you get to compound daily. Versus in like the stock market, like nothing compounds daily. Like if you have, if you have a 5% ROI in RotoTracker, that doesn't mean 5% on your initial investment. That means 5% on a daily slate by slate basis. Yeah, every time you play. Right. And then if you're reinvesting that your profits into increasing your play proportionally, like that graph is going to go start going up and up exponentially. And that's why... 
when I say that, like, I started with 400 bucks and now I'm close to 400,000, like, that's not from like, oh, I won a, I won a $300,000 GPP once type of thing. Like, it's because I started at the quarter arcade level. And then as I built up my bankroll, I started entering more. But all I'm doing is compounding that 5% edge, 7% edge, whatever the hell is going up. Do you, is what I'm talking about, is, is, is that something you think about a lot? Do you, do you approach your DFS play similar to the way that you would approach like, like an, any type of investment? So, so for me, I think the opportunity cost is that I don't have a job. So, and I do have a wife. <laughs> so, so like I have to explain basically to my wife, like I'm not working my job because I can make X amount of money. I think, you know, my theory is playing DFS. So if I don't hit what my old salary was, like with some amount for benefits, then it's like, well, when are you, when are you going back to get a job? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, that's, that's my benchmark for success is like, did I make enough? And it's, it is, I kind of want these arbitrary, like January to January judgments. Right. Like, um, but like, yeah, if I, if I have a downswing, it's like, wow, you know, like, have you, have you heard anything from that company you were talking to, you know, like a few months ago? Um, so that's like, that's how I judge, I guess, success. And that's like, that's my benchmark well, in terms I, of. I mean, I think it's similar to me. I mean, I, I always say that like my, my goal in life is to never have a real job. I don't need all the money. I live in Louisville. The standard of living is lower. Can I make, can I make 50 to $75,000 a year doing this? Uh, playing on top of, there's obviously content stuff. There's stuff that revolves around DFS. There may be new opportunities, preserving my bankroll. So maybe I can, maybe I can take 30,000 and put it into the stock market. Maybe, maybe some new prop site opens up and there's tons of overlay or edge. And I go, I'm going to take 10 grand and I'm going to see, uh, maybe I could churn out. You know, maybe this flames away in six months, but over the, that time, maybe I made five or six grand. And, uh, I know that you obviously play much higher volume than I do, and you probably got paid in your job much higher than I got paid in my job. Uh, but do you do you think that too few professional? I want to I want to I want to highlight it. Not average players, but professionals. Only because mm-hmm. I don't think these conversations. You don't see these conversations like what we're talking about. I don't. I don't. No one talks about. As far as yeah. just like, like how does how does this fit into like the investment in your life in general? Like the the why you play DFS? Like as far as like as a job type of thing? That do you think that a lot of supposedly professional and I'm using the term it's kind of weird to say professional players. Uh, how many do you think have a similar mindset, or do you feel that a lot of a lot of the the top players, professional industry are like, this is, this is the fad now. And I'm going to churn as much as I can. And then like get out and just find a place to put my money next type of, cause I, I get this, I get the sense that, that either people have unrealistic expectations. The party's going to last forever. This is going to be for 20 years. Yeah. Or it's the opposite of like, I got to put as much as I can into the next three or four year period because the whole bubble's going to burst. And then I'll find the next bubble. I think it's somewhere in between. So I think, I, I don't think things are going to like burst in the next three or four years. Because I think like, like the first cavemen were like betting on like which cricket would run across the cave fastest, right? Like, like guys are going to bet on sports, right? Sports are always going to exist. 
in some form. People are always going to bet on it in some form. And what you know, what we have with DFS is really like the like the peer-to-peer right betting where you're you know, like I'm playing against somebody else's lineup, so I'm not playing against the house. And I I think that'll continue. I, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Um, you know, and I I think there's a possibility it could get even bigger, right, with sports betting because I do I think if the whole slice if the whole pie is expanding, then like the DFS slice of the pie. And I do, I think if it gets much smaller, then like, yeah, I, I want to get out, <laughs> you know, and I, and I think a lot of the other players probably think the same way. So like I, I yeah, I do. Maybe there is this, yeah, probably more towards the view of I want to get as much out of it over the next few years, but I don't know that next few years time frame um, could be anything. Right. Like I might stop playing in a few weeks if I like if I decide to right to decide to do something else or if this gets much bigger. Right. I might maybe. Yeah, maybe like the, the first guys that started playing professional poker probably didn't think it was going to get much, much bigger. But it did. Maybe DFS is that way as well. I don't know. Well, people people think in terms of the boom was 2015. The boom was all of that, that there won't be another boom or the fact is that now we're getting slower growth that in comparison where it's, it's like, it's like relating the stock market, like past this time. Cause now it's like there's free money everywhere. So like the, if, if, I don't know when this bubble is going to burst, but like the dot com, I, I was involved in the stock trading sites during the first dot com bubble. So like I was on wall street, I was a web developer, whatever. And like that every, from that point forward, like once that bubble burst, everyone compared like, well, you can't invest into tech stocks because the bubble's done. The bubble's done. Yet if you invested in Apple or Microsoft or anything, you'd have like 50x returns from that point. Like, yeah. do, you, do you think that people that have played since the boom 2014, 2015 just have an unrealistic expectation? Like everything seems like it's going down even when it's going up only because – like that unsustainable growth is like was never going to be the norm. And your outlook on DFS is that over the next three, five, seven years, maybe 10 year time frame is that we may be at the, 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 the point that we were in 2015, in 2030. It's just it's going to take 10 years to get there. But we're going to be back at, you know, we'll have live finals where the first place is five to ten million dollars. It's just that. Like it'll take ten years to get there. Yeah, that's that that perfectly describes my thinking, right? Like, yeah, I think there's a lot of guys that were here, like were like veterans in 2015 and saw that huge amount of growth, and it's like, ah, it's you know the party's over. Like, I think that was always unsustainable. Like, I think in 2015, FanDuel and DraftKings were just trying to get as many new users as they possibly could, right? And they're just pouring like venture capital money into like marketing, but also like some of the marketing is like kind of intentional overlay with contests, right? And like, you know, these huge live finals that they could could be losing money on, right? Uh, but it's it's a marketing event. Uh, and then, that, you know, that went way down, like the prize pools for live finals, prize pools for everything went down. But like, I mean, I don't like, DraftKings is, has a million dollars to first place for the for the NBA live final this year. Uh, and that's that's like last year was five hundred thousand. This year it's a million dollars. I mean, it's, it's a big difference. Like the the NFL 
live final prize pool, you know, it's $2 million this past year. It's a million dollars to second place. Like, that's that's not small money, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a possibility you're in a period of maybe more sustained growth. And I actually, I really like the, like the tech analogy. I, we're about the same age. And like, so we've lived through some of the same bubbles, right? It was like the tech bubble in like the late 90s and early, you know, like 2000, 2001, and then like immediately followed by the real estate bubble. <laughs> and I noticed we're both sitting NBA top shots out, right? <laughs> right. We're, we're both sitting NBA, right. What it, like, you're, I'm, I, I, I feel like, I feel like I've gone crazy. I mean, just like you went to business school, you studied finance. Me, I'm more of a self-taught, right? I was a honors math student. It's not like I'm dumb or anything. It's just that, you know, I... I dropped out of high school, joined a startup, so I don't have formal education in most of this stuff. I, I learn by doing. And, and to me, I view NBA Top Shots as, like, like it's not that I don't get the technology. It's that I, like, like how how is it not, how is it not, It's I don't want to call it a Ponzi scheme, but, like, if the thing has no, first off, the thing has no utility. So it has, it. It's only as valuable as what other people value it as. But when when you say that that phrase, that means that the only way they could ever get value out of it is if by other people valuing it, which means you want to tell other people that it's valuable. So like that's that's where it breaks down to me that like I don't view like Bales or Peter Jennings as like, oh, they bought this and now they're pumping up the money. Like like you could be excited about something. I'm excited about DFS, right? You come in and play DFS. And obviously if you're a bad player, I make more money because you're coming into the, the ecosystem. Now I'm trying to teach you how to play well. And hopefully, hopefully uh, you, I still get better than you. I know that 95% of people that listen to this podcast will still not do it well, not listen to what we say and just do whatever the fuck they want anyway. So I'm relying right. on that. But like from the top shots perspective, I just I just look and go, I why would I put my money into into an ecosystem where the only way to get value back is by finding someone that values it more than you? At some point, you run out of people. So yeah, so I will I will admit that I don't I don't know a ton about it because everything I've learned about it has made me think to myself. I don't need to research this anymore. Right. <laughs> right. Um, everyone I've talked to has the same exact story. She's like, oh, I, I thought this was crazy at first, too. And I put in a little bit of money and I started buying some cards. Like my portfolio has gone way up. Right. Like I, I listen, you know, I watched some YouTube videos. And I, I read a guy's blog on, on how to do this. And I've made really good investments with my cards. And like I've told a couple of friends and their portfolios have gone up too. Like everybody's made money on this thing, right? Like, well, they've made they've made money on paper, right? Everybody's made money. You on can't paper. even no goddamn withdraw. withdraw. You've made money on paper. You can't withdraw. <laughs> like, <laughs> like anyone, every new user, right? Every piece of marketing they do that that results in new users. Everybody writing on Twitter, like, hey, you got to check this out. Results in more people putting in money into the marketplace. Nobody can take money out. <laughs> so, like, so the upward. You know, the, the pressure on prices for these cards is all up because, like, you're not going to have money sitting on the site, not 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 buying cards with it. Right. So, like, everyone's cards are going up in value and nobody can withdraw. Like, what happens when the first person can, you know, like, actually, I guess some specialized users can withdraw, which is even scarier. Right. The idea that some of these like power users or whatever are able to get their money out. But, like the average person cannot get their money off the site. So like and but and more and more people keep piling money onto the site. So like yeah, it's not a surprise that like everybody's made money. But as soon as the average user can, you know, everybody's got the same plan, right? Like I put in 
$1,000. I bought some cards. My portfolio is now worth like, 5000 I'm just going to take 1500 off the site, right? And make sure I've got a guaranteed profit. It's going to be a run on the bank. That ends up being a run on the bank. (laughs) I noticed that like the last thing I saw in withdrawals was they're going to, it's going to be like a rolling randomized basis or something. Like, yeah, they can't let everyone withdraw at once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The expression on your face. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, basically the same expression on mine. Like, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. (laughs) But also, but I have a problem also with this, like every, any economic system, there's supply and demand. So, like, I understand the, the main reason to bring it back to DFS, why I like teaching people about DFS. A lot of sharp players have privately said to me, you shouldn't be making these players better. You're making, yeah. and I always say that 95% of people don't fucking pay attention and they're not going to do it. There are poker books. You could go out and be a world-class poker player now. If you don't have the discipline to do it, it doesn't matter that the material is <laughs> out there. Uh, but the more healthy the ecosystem like the more that people are enjoying, I, I want, just like in poker, I don't want bad players to lose quickly. I want them to lose as slow as possible because I need to keep the eco, we need to keep the ecosystem big enough for us all to feed on, to put in a, in a thing. But in top yeah. shots, like the supply is up to whatever the fuck the company wants to do. I mean, I come, yeah. I used to, inv- I used to collect baseball cards. So like, it always comes down to the 89 upper deck Ken Griffey Jr. It always comes down to that era of, of, of sports cards of you have a company that all they have to do is print something and someone will pay them. They put the, the top shots. They put out, Oh, we're releasing 10,000 packs and people are just get, they're just collecting money from out of thin air. And I'm right. supposed to believe that this company is like, uh, like, no, we're going to keep a very limited supply so they maintain its value. And it's like, I'm too cynical on people that if they could just print money out of thin air, eventually, even a year or two from now, like the, we even see, I mean, I don't keep up with it. I only keep up with it on Twitter and everything that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, you could turn a $9 pack into 60 bucks because even the commons were just like, like, okay, you could, I could sell this for 20 bucks. Like, cause like that was just like the minimum price, but then it turns into well, now that they're adding more ca- types of cards and everything, now the commons are like, well, it's not special anymore. These cards are special. And then you go to the next, then, oh, we're the limited edition, whatever the hell. And then, oh, now everyone wants to put money into that. And like, at some point, there's just too many, there's too much supply. And who knows? You could say, yeah. well, no, no, the company will never do that. Now, fuck you, the company will never do that. That's how they make money. So like, yeah. like if, if you don't tell me, if you say, I want you to invest in an asset and I'm not going to tell you how scarce it's going to be in the future, like why Why do I want to pay a premium for that? That may be a speculative. If you if you put a, a couple of bucks into Bitcoin back in 2011, like, and it's just like, oh, I'll just throw in a couple of bucks. It's worth God knows how much money now, uh, but at least it's just a couple of bucks. But I mean, people are buying the $15,000 moments and like, like they, they could literally make 50 more, like, there's nothing that stops that. all the serial numbers. Well, they'll make more serial numbers. Like I, I, that's the part I don't get of like, how could you trust if the value holds up when, when there's a, when there's a fed, essentially NBA top shots is the fed. They could print whatever amount of money they want. So what the fuck am I doing? And at the end of the day, it, it is just the sports memorabilia market, right? Like, and I, I, we're, yeah, we're about the same age, right? I remember the, the mid-80s, right, with baseball card collecting, and you had Fleer and Dunross and 
Upper Deck and Tops, right? And all these companies started. And that's another thing, right? Like somebody else, like what about NFL top shops, right? Like some other companies coming out with like NFL highlights or, or MLB highlights, um, you know, and all of these, these card companies started flooding the market in the mid eighties with, with all of these cards. And yeah, and it went down in value. It's like every 18 years, the sports card market or sports memorabilia market goes, goes nuts. I, the one thing I put on Twitter about uh, NBA top shot was like I was actually I was talking to a friend of mine, our childhood friend, um, about you know, like oh these crazy get you know kids are, <laughs> are are you know putting all this money into like these video highlights and he reminded me something I totally forgotten about Etops in 2002 like it came out because like all of these all of the young men with like discretionary have been doing I like stock like tech stocks stock investing and it was like you had to get the initial public offering for the for the tech company and. Tops started doing eTops, which was a virtual trading card. Like you could, you could never take delivery of the card if you didn't want to. Just like you don't have to take delivery of a stock certificate, right? Uh, and they would IPO certain players, and you would have to like rush to the site and go get on the site when they had an IPO for like this certain player to get to get the cards. In 2002, it was the exact same thing or a very very similar thing to NBA Top Shot. My friend reminded me like we had tried to corner the market on this one player, right? And like take delivery of the cards and burn all the physical cards. So the last few cards we had were the most valuable. Like, and I'm like, ah, oh, I did. Like, we fell for that in 2002. But it's like, yeah, every like 18 to 20 years, the sports memorabilia market goes crazy. Everybody pours their money into it, thinking they're going to get rich. And like, it, you know, sports memorabilia is worth something, but it's it's not worth like these crazy amounts. Like, not every guy across America is going to suddenly you know buy twenty thousand dollars worth of like jerseys or video highlights you know, this month. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll could see be. They could, with the amount of money, right? With the, yeah, I mean, money's it, free now. They're going to put another yeah. $2 trillion into the economy. This party's going on. It's going to... I'm just trying to figure out when the hell this fucking thing is going to come down. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a lot of things that are getting frothy right now, right? Like, a lot of things seem to... <laughs> but we'll see We'll see what happens. Uh, we got more stimulus checks on the way, so everything should be fine. <laughs> um, do, do you think in this, in this, mar- in, in, in this period uh, in the market with what's going on do you do you still think that it's it's amazing for me to say that playing dfs may like it playing dfs can it survive a market downturn it's it's uh, to me it's an intellectual challenge of like when the money's like the money has to go somewhere cash cash is not worth anything now like cash is like, if you have a savings account, like it's, it's, it's just, lo- you're losing money by having it in there. Right. But so in an in a economic time now, you're the other person that studied this more than I did. So like, like I'm just making, you know, based on like the concepts that I know that would, wouldn't you believe that with, with people having cash and nothing to do with it, this is why real estate's going up, every, every type of asset's going up. Do you think that's a benefit for DFS or do you think that DFS is better during an economic down to, cause I would, you would have to think that you make most of your money off of dumb people and they need discretionary income because it's more of an entertainment product. I just like, but would you make more? But the problem is, is that if I can make more putting the money into the stock market than playing DFS, doesn't that also make the market for DFS go down. 
I don't think people I don't think people think of it that way. And it, like this this conversation takes some dark turns, right? Because like I think like historically uh, gambling tends to do much better during economic downturns, right? And then there's like, which is so which is like, so ridiculous to say. I mean, it it make it really doesn't make rational sense. Why? Yeah. Well, but I mean, it's it's kind of depressing, right? Like people kind of start to as people start to feel on their like last edge, right? I got I got nothing. To you got nothing for, to lose. Right? Why not? Yeah. Like and then so it becomes this like lottery culture, and I, I do I think it's like then that maybe helps the DFS sites, but that I mean it's kind of a dark thought. Like people that can't really afford to be playing DFS, like piling money into it is some kind of like last hope to you know. Yeah, but but that. but that, let's take that dark turn. I think it's I think it's interesting because it it comes up in poker a lot. Mm-hmm. There there a lot a lot a, you if you play poker for a living, you most likely at some point at it, it once a week at least maybe if you're at like a, you know a fairly popular area casino card rooms or whatever, you quite possibly impl- are playing with someone who's playing with their rent money. Like yeah. it, it it's it's inevitable. Like it it's a, that someone that someone is Either either addicted, or in over their head, or desperate, like you said. And to me, my attitude is is that I I, I can't think about that. Like you, it was their choice to play this game, and it's my job to. I mean, I'm going to play it as well as possible. It's 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 caveat emptor at that point. But right. DFS is the same way that I I guarantee you there are people that are that you have won money against that when you won a hundred thousand dollars portion of that money was from some 19-year-old kid or something that, like, that this was part of their college tuition that, you know, that they're down they're down $15,000 playing DFS because they're trying to chase their losses. Like, I don't, me personally, I don't know, does it say bad about me? I don't see any moral judgment against me on that because it's not, that's your choice. That's not mine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that's ultimately my attitude. I probably wouldn't say that out loud, <laughs> right? But, yeah, that is... That's ultimately my attitude. I think with DFS, you you don't see the people, right? Like poker, like if you're sitting across the table from somebody, like then it's it's a little bit like more literally, it's right in front of you. Whereas with DFS, like I don't know, these are usernames, right? Like, I don't I don't know, you know, DFS whatever's you know user handles. Like my second live final, I was the FanDuel NFL finals in New York, and they took us to the to this physical sports book in the Meadowlands, right? And I invited all these friends to go with me, right? Because I, I had five seats for the NFL final, and and uh, you know FanDuel was treating us like VIPs, so I, I had like family members there and stuff. And we go to this physical sports book, and this guy is driving by, and it's like dilapidated car, right? It's like barely running, and he like, yells something out the window to us. Um, like, ah, 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 you know, like, what is he saying? Like, he yells again, ah, I want her. You know, and we finally hear he's saying, I need a winner. And he's saying, I just give me a winner, man. I just need a winning, any winning bet. Just give me a winning bet. And he's like, I can't go home until I get a winner. <laughs> like, like this guy could not, like, was afraid to go home and, like, face his wife or whatever until he had won, won his money back. It was, like, one of the most depressing things I've ever seen in my entire life. But, uh, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's like, and then, like, you know, I, I think about that sometimes with DFS, right? Like, am I taking money from that from that kind of person? I don't know. Like, hopefully not. But, but yeah, I mean, I can't control it. So, like, I don't. And then I don't. I wouldn't say I don't feel bad about it. But like, I'm I'm hoping I'm taking 
$5 from, you know, hundreds of thousands of people rather than like 50,000 from somebody that can't afford it, you know? Right. You're, you're just, you're, some, some Joe Schmo on the couch with $5 of discretionary income. It's like, I'm going to take a shot at this lottery and yeah. if he, like, it's no big, it's no big deal. But, but how do you, on the other end of the spectrum, we, we know plenty of people we, we see, we, 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 cause we do content. We converse with people, even, even good players. Like you're talking about all I need is a winner, right? Yeah. I can't go home until I break even <laughs> like, but yeah. you see, but you see plenty, you see plenty of people, even good players that up, oh, you know, my, the player that I'm hundred percent on got injured in the first quarter time to tilt, enter the late slate. Like that, that type of, like, I don't every, everyone. Okay. Let's just put it forward. No one is immune to it completely, right? Yeah. No, like tilt and making rash decisions or trying to get your money back, you know, those types of things. Even me, it's, it's, I'm not 0%, but I'm fucking close to it. Uh, what, how do you, it doesn't seem like you're the type of person that is just like, it's a bad day and you, you move on to the next day. Like it's, it's not, it's not the type of thing where because you because you if you have a bad if a really bad day it means that well tomorrow that means uh, that it's Thunderdome time right like it's like yeah like you, I don't probably, I, you don't seem like the type to that that would be a, a that much of an issue. I I think like I've got certain contests you know that I'm going to enter especially like at this point I'm pretty like almost automated right like I know what contests I'm entering on Fanduel I know what contests I'm entering on DraftKings. And if I'm going to go more than that, there's got to be a reason why. So like, in so, sometimes like special contests, I'll go in, um, you know, like if like FanDuel has been giving away tickets to a contest for months, months, right? I'll go play that contest. I'll max enter it. And I'm not necessarily max entering because I won satellite tickets, but I'm max entering it because they gave a bunch of satellite tickets away. And I know people aren't going to even enter a line, right? Like people forget about their satellite tickets. Like, and there's a, there's a DFS attrition, right? Like people die, <laughs> people, you know, win satellite tickets and then die or, you know, or they stop. You, playing you talked DFS. about it down. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> we said we're going down a dark path talking about yeah. pe- you winning rent money. And now you're like, I'm fine with winning money from dead people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they miss it less than the people need the rent money. Right. <laughs> but if they, you know, if they, if they won satellite tickets, it's not even money that they, that they put in. <laughs> right. Um, I, I so, picture it. This is how I picture you now. I picture, you know, the sixth sense, the kid from the sixth sense, right? He looks yeah. over and says, I see dead money. <laughs> yeah, right. It's literally dead money. And, you know, in some of these satellites so I've been running, if they've been running satellites for months, you know, there's users. There's, the odds say, you know, if there's tens of thousands of people in the contest or hundreds of thousands of people in the contest, you know, some of those people are, have, are not still with us. Um, so yeah, so like I enter the special, but I'll, so if I'm going to go over like my daily apportionment or my, you know, what I'm going to enter on a, on a contest, uh, it's going to be some kind of special situation like that. (laughs) Um, But it's not the type of thing where it's like, I've had three, three losing days in a row. So that means like, I got to double down. Like that's, that doesn't happen. Oh, that'd be crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you, but, but we, I see you say that, but we see plenty of people that do do that. Yeah, I mean that's not a healthy way to <laughs> not a healthy way to live. Um, it, there's there's this question, right? Of like when you're when you're running hot, right? You don't, you know, if you're running hot, you're but but, but hot. hold on, is there such a thing as running hot? 
Or is that just variance? Yeah. Are are you? I is it because that, you're playing better, or just it's just variance? It's just good variance. I, I think it's probably ninety nine percent variance. I think there's there's some amounts of maybe you kind of latch onto a situation, especially like basketball or something. Um, like this guy, this team's playing a little differently than I than than people realize. Right. So it's like, it's like, like you're, you're picking up some like okay, the Pelicans started out playing slow and now they're playing faster, and people haven't even the projections hasn't haven't even. Like in around the industry, haven't adjusted to that, or they haven't adjusted to the fact that this rotation has changed. So people are projecting yeah. like twenty-eight minutes when they really should be projecting thirty-one minutes. So, but to right. me, to me, that's not a like you're running like like there's no such thing because people are oh I'm running hot so that like you know, dude your results yesterday from a like a the basketball perspective like have no relation. It's like running hot at the roulette wheel like that like one roll doesn't have anything to do with the next one. Yeah, so I guess like when I say running hot, I mean maybe more like yeah, you've had a great month, and you can put in a little bit more, you know, because you've got more money, right? Your bankroll is higher than it used to be. You can you know, you can enter a little bit more uh, than you could, yeah, than a month ago or whatever. Right, you're compounding. You're you're playing because a percent of your bankroll and it's moving up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's, I, so, I, so you're I, just I, being responsible. It's not. It's not because you. It's not because it's like you're running hot. It's because well, if your bankroll goes up from fifty thousand to sixty thousand, ten percent of that or five percent of that or whatever is just going to be a higher number. But we see plenty of people that you know. You you hey you see a, a lot of times with ca- more casual players, like l- listen to this story. This story you, you you've seen like a hundred thousand times before. Maybe not a hundred thousand. Uh, someone gets lucky. You you see one of these two things: either someone gets lucky, wins a hundred thousand dollars, withdraws ninety nine thousand of it, and just continues playing whatever stakes that they were playing, and then just uses that money to whatever. Like that's to to us, that's the worst thing to happen because that money just leaves right. the ecosystem <laughs> completely. Right now, if you have an edge and you're playing seriously. You're not taking the ninety nine thousand. You may take it out of the DraftKings account, but you're not taking it out of your bankroll. You're now compounding yeah. your edge by now moving up in stakes appropriately. But we also see plenty of times where someone wins a hundred thousand dollars, and literally the next slate they're one fifty in contests, and they're they're in they're in the the eight eighty eight and whatever. And then like a month later, it's like what happened to that guy, right? We've seen we've seen that plenty of times. I mean, you see that in poker. <laughs> But some yes, famous incidents with that yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, guys going on forums because I'm the you know I'm the king and then it's like a month later they're uh, yes yeah, disaster. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, yeah. So uh, I forget what we we're even talking about. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I just I just I just wanted to use this episode more to get into the mindset of quote a, a professional player one one that plays like Eric like Eric plays higher stakes than I do. But he plays like the single entry three. He he goes in his lane that he has an edge in. You're more of a large field player, but still someone that plays high volume. And in the grand scheme of things, I'm still in the top 1% of people that play vol. I mean, to most average people, if I'm saying I'm playing $3,800 worth of volume tonight, like, like that's a lot of fucking money. To, 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 to most people, that's a lot of fucking money. Uh, but maybe not as much in comparison to you, just in the mindset of, Playing on a day-to-day basis, in the as 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 a, as a profession, as as an investment, and not necessarily that you know 
that you're just sitting on the couch drinking beer, entering lineups and like whatever happens, happens that there, 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 there's some type of plan and method of the investment outside of just building lineups. I'm just talking about just the mentality of your, your macro strategy of why you play DFS. And to you, it's very similar to me. Like, how do I not have the same jobs that I used to have and make the same amount of money? But the pet people would love that. Like people listening, like I'd love to, I'd love to quit my $60,000 a year job and just make 60,000. If I could just make $60,000 a year playing DFS, I'd prefer that. I don't need to make a million. I don't need to make live finals. I need to, don't need to do any of that. But the switch to go to how do you, how do you play recreationally where you're just like, oh, I'll make, build a couple of lineups. I'll play, maybe I'll play tonight. Maybe I'll play tomorrow. Maybe I'll sit this slate out. Maybe I'll play the showdown. Maybe like, like that, to me, that's not a business plan. Like, how do you treat right. your DFS play more so at, that a lot of top players do treat it like like it is a macro strategy type of business plan, but no one gets to like to hear the mentality behind doing so. Yeah, so it's interesting because I, I quit my job, and as soon as I quit my job, I quit my job because I had just gone on a tremendous streak, right? Where I, I won a live final, had a bunch of like $100,000 wins at in the you know, a couple of months after that. And then it was like, I quit my job because I can obviously make a lot more money, um, you know, playing DFS than I can in my job. And I immediately went on a huge tailspin, right? Like, as you would kind of expect, right? Like, it's obviously not going to keep going, you know, keep doing that well. Um, and so then by the end of of that first year, it was like, okay, I need to do something to turn this around. And I, I became like much more methodical. Like I, I never used a roto tracker until, in, you know, the beginning of last year. And I, I really took a, a close look at like what contests do I do well at? What sports do I do well at? Like what sites, you know, do I do better? I, it turns out like I didn't really know this, but I, I do much better at DraftKings baseball than I do FanDuel baseball. I have no idea why, right? But and it, it, it actually, it was obscured by the fact that I won the, baseball live final and Fandle, right? So my GPP on Rotor Tracker showed this really high amount, but I was like, actually take that away and I do much better. Like, you know, you look at the 1% graphs, right? On Rotor Tracker, much better on, on DraftKings. And like, I, I took a really close look at that and I, you know, then I allocate my money accordingly, right? So and, and I say like, well, basketball is clearly my best sport. I should be maximizing, you know, my bankroll in basketball but I should be, you know, cutting way back on, on, on football. Like it turns out like football, probably my worst sport in terms of an ROI. Actually, it's unfortunate I just finished my best like NFL season by like, taking a really close look at, you know, how am I doing in these contests? I did. turns out I do surprisingly well in showdowns. I never would have expected that I do as well in showdown or better as I do like in the classic contests. Um, so like, I think having that kind of mentality and like knowing that, you know, you can't just enter certain contests because you like to read the content on those contests or you enjoy the sport, whatever the case may be. Um, it turns out, you know, then we had the, the pandemic hit as well. Right. And like sports went away for, a, for a couple of months and we're all playing like Korean league baseball and, and MMA and golf. And like, I, I thought I would have a big edge on um, Korean league baseball because you had to get up at like five o'clock in the morning and set your lineups. And I thought people are going to reserve lineups and they're not going to get up in time. 
And it turns out I overslept my lineups twice, <laughs> right? Before some two weeks. Turn, and I'm like, you were oh, the I'm one that did guy. it, right? <laughs> I'm the guy that's not getting up. And that was my that was the end of my Korean League baseball DFS career, right? Um, and but then it turned out MMA, I was doing really well. And like it, it turns out I, I was able to like kind of figure out MMA DFS fairly quickly. Golf, I still have not figured out. I, I do terrible that, golf. That's <laughs> the same thing with me. Yeah. I played I, I played golf for two years. I had like one decent finish and then most of the time, and then I use game. Then I'm like, okay, I'm just, anyone that's over 20% owned, there's no way that they could, pop, and then for some reason the chalk every, hits, hits the one lineups that I got, I, I just, I'm, golf, there's too much variance, just like, yeah. but, but I think the point that you're making is that doesn't mean that you don't play golf. It just means that you would allocate much less of your bankroll to that. But during basketball season, you're like, I'll get as much action as I can. NFL, maybe you come down some more. That it's not a very, it's not, it's not this type of thing where, like, oh, you have X amount of bankroll. You're always going to do this and always this way. It's reallocating. I showed on the the pregame show uh, this morning, uh, where I mean, at at the time of this recording, that that on Fanduel in cash games, it's bananas. And DraftKings, it's like like right in the middle. And then someone asks, it's like, why don't you just put all your money into FanDuel? And I'm yeah, like... I heard well, that question. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but but the point is, is that it, that could easily just be variance. I still want the diversification. But you saw that I'm rebal... It's, it's like just like rebalancing your portfolio in the stock market. Like, I need to start... The edge... If the edge is there, I need to start shifting more money in that direction. But it doesn't mean to just like... Well, after 50 slates, I know exactly like these, like, dude, 50 slates is barely a sample size. And you don't want to make a rash decision of like, that's like, like I'm running hot. It's like, well, you're running hot on FanDuel. It's like, so I could go also lose a month straight on FanDuel. Like that's still within the range of outcomes. So I don't want to just like, oh, I'm going to pour all my money into FanDuel for the downswing. Well, that, that well, that's not a good thing. You want to buy the dip, if anything, right? Because that that would be the opposite of like really I should be playing more on DraftKings so I could get even there. It's like none of this matters. Like you're 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 coming up with psychological reasons of like, well, we it DraftKings is due. You should put more money in there to buy the di-. like, dude. The past slates don't affect today's slate. It's just that if I have a bigger edge on one place, I should start proportionally moving more of my money there proportionally, but not right. you're. John, you're never going to make a decision where, like, you looked at Roto Tracker and said, "Well, fuck it, I'm all in on basketball, and I'm never playing NFL football again." Right? Like, it just it'll just shift in different directions. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're like the CEOs of our own little like DFS companies, right? Like we are we're allocating the company's capital in the most efficient way we we think. And there's there's isn't a clear right answer, but like we'll we'll look at as much data as we can and, and try to make the best decisions we can. It's like how can I how can we get the best return off of this off of you know this money that we have, which is our you know the company money in our case is the bankroll, right? And like yeah, I think you know you did like your your thought process is exactly what I would do is you know yeah I seem to have a more of an edge on FanDuel cash than I do like DraftKings cash in terms of like you're tracking so far. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit more and shift it into, into FanDuel cash. Cause like I can possibly get a better return there, but we don't know. Right. Like they actually do the opposite, you know, like 401k rebalancing, right? Like they, which is, which is 
necessarily a mutual fund because you're trying to rebalance and keep the same like the same proportion of of like mutual funds in your portfolio or whatever it is. Right. I mean, like in this case. I right. would do the same thing you're doing, which is put a little bit more money into FanDuel cash. Right, right. You want to balance out your risk appropriately, the same way that you do yeah. in your stock portfolio. So, so yeah. it it, see, it seems like it seems like even though we both play different types of contests, different types of styles, right? You're playing 150 here. I'm playing a little bit more single entry three max now. Yet I did play like I'm like like I'm looking for where where's like I'm ultimately. I mean, I think we we both are. Like the goal is to make the most amount of money for the least amount of risk, right? I, I like at the like from a really macro sense is that like you can make the most amount of money with a lot of risk, right? Like you, you, you could go balls to the wall and end up at the end of the year up $5 million. I mean, that can happen or you're going to be the guy in the car right. yelling at me <laughs> going, I need a winner. I need a winner. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, that is, I think, something that people overlook. And, it, I, you know, because I took, like, a bunch of finance classes, and it's, it's like, beaten into me. And, you know, it's something, you know, like, if you're following, like, you know, stock stock investing, then, yeah, you know, the concept of, of risk goes along with possible reward, right? So, like, if you can make the same return, but you're minimizing your risk, that's a huge, that's a huge advantage, right? That's something definitely worth pursuing that I think a lot of people that are putting money into FanDuel and DraftKings even people that are maybe consuming content aren't necessarily thinking in terms of risk, right? They're like, well, if you know this player is going to do well, why don't you put everything behind them, right? Like, well, it's it's too risky, right? I want to I want to be maximizing my return, you know, for the risk that I'm taking, right? And you and you and nothing's for sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. like like there's no like there's no locks. There's no if there were locks, and I I, I also say this: if there were locks, I would never tell you because like. That's how I would make my money, right? Like if there was a, if there was a set, people ask you, John, right? They ask you all probably all the time. What are your settings, right? Like what, what are the, like, because we do premium content and you will do some line of HQ stuff uh, for, for Roto-Grinders. And a lot of the questions are like, well, how many unique players do you use? How much randomness yeah. do you use? How much do you did? And, and I always say it's a shitty answer. I mean, but it's the correct answer of, well, it depends on the slate. Like my settings could look different, Every single fucking slate. I mean, like it, it's what is my the strategy in the portfolio of lineups that I'm making, and the tool is just there to to be to be efficient for me. Yeah. But like, I'd ra- if I could, if you could hand build 150 lineups as quick as you could use lineup HQ, like you would be much more accurate hand building. Like that would you would prefer doing it that way, but just it's untenable to do that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the best analogy for like for uh for like tournament play in like FanDuel and DraftKings is like hitting in baseball, right? Like where if you if you're successful like 35% of the time, you're a Hall of Famer, right? Um, you know, and, and I take I take the same approach. And I think I think hitting in baseball can be incredibly mentally taxing for that same reason. Like, yeah, like the majority of time you're gonna fail. Like tournament play in FanDuel and DraftKings, like the majority of the time you're gonna fail. And I'm one of those hitters, right, that's constantly making adjustments. Like, I'm not going to face the same pitcher and have this, you know, I'm constantly tweaking my stance, constantly, like, looking for different pitches or whatever. Like, I, there's, yeah, I don't take the same strategy, like, for, for two different slates ever. I'm constantly adjusting. I'm constantly adjusting, like, my projection models, constantly, like, you know, adjusting, um, you know, I'll adjust, like, how I enter contests and FanDuel because I want to be able to, like, 
to drag and drop when I've got my lineups. Like, I want to be able to do that in as little time as possible, right? So, like, I'll enter my my contests in Fanduel in a different order. So, like, if I'm short on time and I just got to, you know, cut and paste, and, you know, and drag and drop all of my lineups into the into the upload file, I can do that within 10 seconds if I need to, right? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly adjusting things. And there is, yeah, there's no, like, magical settings. Like, oh, yeah, I just set it and forget it, and that's... That's how I run my lineups. Right. And because, well, the point is, is that if there was one, I no one would ever tell you because yeah. it would be the type of, that I always say that if there was such a thing like that, there, I would not be on this podcast. You would not know what, who my face is. I wouldn't even be on Twitter because I wouldn't want anyone to know who the hell is Blender HD on top of the contest every right. goddamn day. And I'll just collect millions of that. Like if there was one I, that rationally, that's what I should be doing. Yeah, that's why I don't do coaching. People often ask, like, how much do you charge for coaching? So, like, I do not want to take your money from you in an hourly format and then beat you in FanDuel. Right? Right. Like, that, that would be terrible. So, like, I'm sorry, I, you know, you can consume my content on Roto-Grinders. Like, yeah, I do not, um, you know, yeah, I don't do, like, hourly coaching or anything Right, like well, the, that, same, the same reason why I made the course. Like, people were, uh, can you, like, no, I, I can't, number one, I can't scale that from a business perspective. So, it's like, yeah. here's a 15-hour thing. It's everything that I know. And there you go. And then I'm also in the Roto Grinders Premium Discord, where it's yes, it may not be one on one coaching, but if you my email box is open, I do re- respond to emails, questions at theoryofdfs.com. But like, like I'm I'm the same way as you. Like number one, I I, I always joked, John, because people people I, I get DMs. I've gotten these for years. Uh, can you give me some lineups? Can you can you like right? The, can you get the, it's the guy from the car. I need a right. winner. Just give me a winner. Just give me right. a winner. They give, give me a winner. And 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 uh people and I said, I said, I, I will literally build all of your lineups for you. Like literal. Like I will everything that I would normally do for a slate every 365 days a year, I will do from you. All you have to do is give me seventy-five thousand dollars. So you huh. give me seventy-five thousand dollars, <laughs> I will not risk any of my money. You could play, I will just build and say under your account, like yeah. As like that to me, that's risk free seventy five thousand dollars. That's my goal, and there you go. Oh, that's ridiculous. You can't give me a lineup for fifteen. But like, it's wise. If the lineup was worth that, then why, why would I be giving it to you? I mean, it's it always comes back down to like why wh- why would I coach you on a slate? Uh, can you go through with what you're doing on a specific slate? This is the main reason why I review slates, and I don't. Like, I don't like doing shows at five thirty, six o'clock. I don't like doing picks or yeah. stuff type of shows. It's like, it's not because, oh, I'm holding the strategy back. It's like, I don't even know what, so a lot of times I don't even know what the fuck I'm doing then. And then uh, what I'm going to be doing for the contest that I'm in may be a bad strategy for what you're doing. And also we're in the same contests. And it's like, that's that's even the showdown stuff. Like when I do the showdown contest, like I'm I'm going for uniqueness. So for me to go on a show... And and then like I play less. I truthfully I I play the small field contests when I'm on showdown shows because like every unique lineup burns me. And if I'm gonna be honest, because I'm gonna give I'm gonna give exactly what I think. But if I'm gonna go on and say uh, I'm gonna play more Brady in the captain, I'm gonna play more like like I'm just I'm giving an audience of hundreds or thousands like the correct strategy for uniqueness. But now like. Like it's burning all of my edge doing so. So I'm going to play a contest where uniqueness isn't as much of a factor. So I'm still giving right. out good information, but I'm not giving away 
the edge in doing so, right? I'm going to just play, I'm going to talk all about GPPs and here's the strategy, but I'm, I'm just playing cash tonight, right? Like before crunch time where I'm not going to risk GPP lineups a half an hour. Maybe you do that. Like I'm not going to switch all that. So I'm just playing, I just have my one cash lineup, maybe one GPP lineup, but I could still then give advice, probably, you know, exactly what I think without having to like, I'm not competing against, like that conflict of interest isn't there anymore. Yeah, it, that's, it's an interesting conflict that you, that you bring up, right? Because like I do, I do the, the crunch time shows sometimes, um, and it's it's bad in two ways, right? Because you're you're giving away the exact players, and yeah, I'm always as honest as I can be, right? But I mean, I'm also giving I'm listing a handful of players at each position that I that I like, but then you're also actually having to do your lineups while you're on the sh- on the show, which can be incredibly distracting and, and nerve wracking when news breaks. It actually burned me on a show earlier this year, like where there was like breaking news. I mean, Eric Bledsoe was out. And if, if you go back and watch the show, I think it's like every, everyone's face on the show is like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> right. Because like, we all got to adjust our lineups, like while we're still talking and doing the show. My first like rotor grinders article that I wrote is, you know, 2015 or 2000, I think it was 2016. Um, I, I did like a thing where I would look back at the previous week of NFL use the concepts of like the players that won and try to pick a lineup on Monday or Tuesday of the following week that you would then enter in a single entry contest. And the first article I wrote, you know, I came up with this lineup. Oh, you know, this guy in a a dome did well against this defense. So we could use, you know, the quarterback was playing that team in a dome, you know, you know, next week. And that, that lineup won the single entry contest. And I was the only one that entered it. <laughs> and it was, you know, I entered like a $2 single entry contest. Right? I could still enter those at the time. And I entered it on FanDuel and nobody else duplicated my lineup. And I thought from that time forward, nobody, like. No nobody one pays really the dough is paying attention enough, right? Nobody's paying attention. Right? And even if they're paying attention, like, you know, there something gets lost in the execution. It's like, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm fine getting away, like, content on a slate. Um, I mean, and things are not exact. Like, I'm obviously never giving away. As soon as I wrote that article, it was like Scott, the editor, the next week is like, hey, just so you know, like community guidelines suggest you not give away whole lineups, <laughs> you know, in an article. Can you not do that going forward? I'm sure, you know. Um, so, like, yeah, you never give away an entire lineup. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there's enough, like, nebulous area in, in the execution where, where yeah, like, I, I give away, you know, on content. I'll, I'll go on, you know, do content and just give away you know, whoever I think are the best plays at the time that I'm doing the content. Right, and me, I, I do the same thing by just yelling to people to look at the fucking projections. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, but the difference yeah, is that, like, I'm actually, I'm actually utilizing other people's projections. You have your own model where it may be slightly different than, than what, but you have to admit, in John, in NBA, unless you're, unless you're, unless you're, you're adding or subtracting some minutes that you don't agree with around the industry, that most NBA models are virtually, like, so yeah. similar. I will. So, I, you know, yeah, I don't want to reveal the secret sauce. I'll say I used to do like my own model as best as I could. And then, yeah, starting like this season, a little bit towards the end of last year. And then this season, I started like, like just, yeah, I can't. You like I what I do could best be described as like aggregating projections and then tweaking them. I do. Like, I'll, I'll definitely tweak them. But um, but yeah, I realized like I can't build something better than like and, like and I, what it, what actually spurred me along to do it was like. Chris Gimino invited me into like the projections, like discord chat. And I've seen these guys argue over like, 
like how does Monte Morris being out affect like Will Barton's assist rate towards the last three minutes of the Nuggets games? Like, and they'll argue over that for eight hours, ripping on each. How can you possibly think Will Barton's assist rate is like not going to go? Like, I these guys are putting so much more thought into it <laughs> than I could possibly put. Like, yeah, I think the Roto Grinders projections are excellent. I think you can aggregate projections, and I think that's a, a viable strategy. I think you can aggregate projections and then tweak them. But yeah, I. I know, like I no longer do my own NBA model from the from the ground up. Didn't you? Didn't you? I, I remember on Twitter, I believe that didn't you have an issue, like maybe a year or two ago with baseball? Like you, you had your best year in baseball, and then like you found out that you like your model, you never actually computed like the runs of the players. Yeah, it was it was this it was this past baseball season. Yeah, because I think I was posting this just a few months ago. It was after it was immediately after the baseball season. I was doing like. Something I think it might have even been that I was like entering the Game Seven World Series showdown or something, and I'm like, yeah, like I'm I'm like counting triples as runs or something, <laughs> something absurd like that. Right? I was like like way over weighting triples. I forget what it was, and it was like, yeah, this is this has been junk the whole year, right? Like obviously it's you know it's correlated to what the projection would have been, right? Like it's, I'm not like subtracting something where I should have been adding it. I think I might have been like mixed like mixed up the multiplier for like triples and stolen bases or something like that. So it wasn't even that terrible, right? Like guys who are going to have a lot of triples probably are going to have a lot of stolen bases or whatever. But it's like, yeah, this is like in terms of being like accurate down to like this, you know, yeah, two decimal places or something like, no, so yeah, it's, just, it's just guesstimation at this point. And yeah, yeah, you still had, yeah, you still had a great baseball season. Yeah. And I still had a great year. Right. Cause I'm, I'm, so much of it comes down to like contest selection, like bankroll management, you know, our, you know, strategy with the lines. Like baseball strategy is often, you know, pretty straightforward of stack teams that you think are going to score runs, be under owned and don't like stack against your pitcher or whatever. Right. Like, um, so like baseball strategy can be somewhat straightforward. Um, but yeah, like it didn't affect my, my ROI, but maybe that was just variance too. So, you know, who knows? right, right. You, right. You don't, you don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, because people look at my baseball strategy a lot of times and go, well, that I always get the whenever the Marlins, the Pirates, the Tigers go off for double digit runs, I almost always get at least one message going, uh, looks like, do you, have, do you have anything going? Because that's that's my macro strategy in baseball because, like, no matter, sometimes on some short slates, you have those cheap teams, like be chalk, but most of the time, no one wants to play these fucking teams. And yeah. baseball's too variant that these teams should not be 3% owned on the slate. And it's just like, I'm going to play like what you do with your portfolio strategy. Every day, a third of my portfolio, 20% of my portfolio, because in baseball, I will play like 100 lineups or something. I'll have 20 lineups of whatever the shittiest, like whatever the cheapest, shittiest team that fits properly has a cheap catcher batting sixth and like, like it yeah. fits in where I could like pay up for two stud pitchers. Like, I'm just going to play, I'm 20% of my portfolio is going to be that every single day. It's going to hit maybe once or twice a year, but when it hits, that's 25000 to $50,000. And, and I don't have to worry about the day anymore. Like, it's just like, right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have two teams that are cheap. It's going to be the Marlins and the Mariners. Tomorrow it could be the Tigers and the Pirates. It's going to be, as long as it's not against the stud pitcher, typically I like if they're playing like Cole or like, I just don't even bother because the likelihood of them putting up 15 runs is probably way low. They should be that owned. But, but to me, that's a macro strategy. But how, how do you, how do you teach someone that? Like, how, 
Like, because because it's not slate related. Like, it's it's literally not slate related. It's like, well, why do you like the Marlins today? Because they're cheap. Like, yeah. people people don't accept that answer of like, what what is there anything specific? No. <laughs> you're just I, cheap. I dis- yeah, I, I dislike doing baseball content the most because there's often it's so repetitive and like it, yeah it doesn't necessarily have a huge like you know a huge impact on who I'm actually going to be playing. So like I can tell you who I think you know what third baseman has the best matchup right. It's Nolan Arenado facing the left-handed pitcher in cores or whatever right. Uh, but like yeah, if there's a salary cap, <laughs> you, you know you can only and then like so like which of the three thousand dollar you know third baseman do I think is has the best chance. I, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, right? Like I, whichever one you're stacking with the rest of his teammates, you know, to the maximum extent possible. Right. I mean, and, and yeah, the guy that's got the tough matchup who's, you know, you know, facing righty, facing a righty or whatever in a bad park that hits two home runs is going to be the winner. And hopefully he's got some of his teammates on base. So they're getting runs in RBI and, and you're winning a tournament, you know, and hopefully it's like Kansas city or something. Right. But the problem is, is that like, well, what, tell me exactly who that's going to be. It's like, right. no, no, my strategy is over 200 slate. Like, like my yeah. strategy exists in the same way that your lineup portfolio of 150 lineups. It's like, these are, this is my strategy. It's represented by 150 lineups. My baseball strategy is represented by 200 slates. Like it's represent, like, yeah. like, it's just like, I'm going to invest in this type of strategy virtually every day. So that you'll always hear me, the vomit stacks of the week, I mean, the vomit stacks of the day, like, and I'm, that's, that's my strategy. And then I rarely play the, the, the expensive, I play the expensive stacks when they're under own, where, you know, everyone's going yeah. for cores and I'm going to play the expensive Dodgers because everyone's playing expensive Rockies, you know, you do that, but that only represents 10% of my, like, I'm doing that every slate. So like, I need to basically find the assets of that portfolio every single day. And they'll change every, it depends on today. It's the, the cheap value. Penny stock is the Marlins. Tomorrow could be the Tigers. Tomorrow could be the Reds. It could, but I, I'm basically taking that slice of portfolio. And just, this is what I'm doing for 200 slates. And uh, hopefully I come out uh, profitable at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think of it that way. Cause like, I don't do single entry baseball, but yeah, that's exactly what I would do. Like, yeah, I'm going to take the, yeah, under-owned stacks, right? The vomit stacks. So, John, on Twitter, uh, why why don't is does does someone have Squirrel Patrol on Twitter? Is that the reason why you don't use that Twitter name, or is it no, too long? I, I so this was just like my personal Twitter, and then I became Squirrel Patrol, <laughs> right? How did you become um, what? Uh, uh, that's one thing I I don't think I've ever heard. Like what 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 the fuck Squirrel Patrol mean? It's just a, like it's uh, named after my dogs. So actually, my um, my my bankroll for DFS came because I I played season long Yahoo leagues in like 2013 2014, and I made you know like ten between ten and twenty thousand dollars playing like these like I'd play like dozens of season long Yahoo leagues, but I would name them after my dogs. Like so, it would be like like Squirrel Patrol or like Puppy Brigade or like Barkley Brigade or whatever, right? And um, and then when I was signing up for FanDuel, it's like, I'm going to take one of these like crazy Yahoo football team names and that's going to be my handle. And it ended up being like Scroll Patrol, right? Because like we'd always, we'd have these like two, like 100, 100 pound dogs and they would take them on walks and then start tearing off after a squirrel. It'd be like, All right, easy there, Squirrel Patrol, right? Like, so we need to finish the walk and just get home. 
And like, yeah, I could have just as easily been known as like Puppy Brigade this whole time, <laughs> right? Like, thankfully, you know, I, I picked Squirrel Patrol, which is you know, like not not as crazy as some of the other like derisive kind of nicknames we made for our dogs. What? So, what other yeah, names were there other than Pu- that? You got, I, I need to know some ulterior names. Yeah, I, I can't really remember. Unfortunately, like one of the dogs has passed away. So a lot of them were named around Barkley, right? Like Barkley's Brigade or whatever, Barkley's Army. You know, um, and I, I happened to pick Squirrel Patrol. This is like six or uh, this is like eight, nine years ago now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But do people, uh, I mean, because that's the like like Squirrel Patrol or did, did is, is it weird to you when people like even in like when you go to live finals that like out of out of any, out, they know you. Hey, hey, squirrel! Hey, it's like calling you squirrel. It's the same way that people call me Blender, and it's like this yeah. is the only form. This is the only community where people call each other by like parts of their username. Like it's oh, it's it's CSU. It's like no, it's Peter Jennings. Like yeah. but his name's Peter. Like it's like I think about Chipotle act. I think about that probably every month, right? Like <laughs> he's just sitting there in his twenties. Like I like now I'm eating Chipotle. I'm good. <laughs> and now he's. No, he's probably like in his mid thirties. I don't, I, I don't know him. Right. But it may, he might be married with a kid who knows. Right. And he's like, I just, I don't like Chipotle that much. Right. Like, you know, but everybody knows him as Chipotle addict. Um, I, I actually kind of prefer when people call me scroll patrol at events. I, I think it creates like identity separation. Right. Cause like John is the, is the guy that's, you know, way more careful with his money. and would never gamble. <laughs> right. You know, like the scroll patrol can do whatever he wants. <laughs> right. Right. To your wife, you're John Breslin, but to the, yeah. to the DFS community, you're squirrel patrol. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like John Breslin would never lose money on, on DFS. But <laughs> yeah. Right. John Breslin would never tilt enter the late slate or, or enter this yeah. qualifier or do these things, but squirrel patrol, like when Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't really, I don't pay attention. Like, so many people call me Squirrel Patrol at this point that I, I hear it just like the name John, right? I, I wouldn't even know if somebody was calling me, if, you know, if you asked me a few seconds later, was he calling you John or calling you Squirrel Patrol? But yeah, um, it yeah. also, it also shows that maybe you don't like me. You don't relate to that many people outside of the DFS community. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> right, that all, that's also, it's like, like I'm so used to people. Oh, blender, blender, blender. It's like. Especially when they don't get that H and D means blenderhead, and then people think it's what whatever. It just yeah. I, I, I'm more of a branding type of thing. So like, if I can't get blenderhead as a as a Twitter name, like my username is going to be blender HD like everywhere, just so I don't have to explain it. It's different in different places. Like it's one of those types of things. So like I could I could have had blenderhead yeah. on DK, but it's like, well, how do I follow you on Twitter? Well, you have to go to Blender, but it's with H. Like, uh, fuck it. Just, like, it's the same everywhere. Fuck it. Who cares? Yeah, I wonder if, like, the person that has a Scroll Patrol handle gets a lot of, like, DFS questions. <laughs> no, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think you could make a, a screen name on you, on you, on uh, on Twitter that long. I think there's 15 characters. Oh, really? So, let, let yeah. Squirrel Patrol, I'm going to look. I'm going to look right now. Okay. I'm surprised you haven't looked. Squirrel Patrol. I, I, probably, looked, I probably looked a couple of years ago. Oh no! There is there is Haley T, three follower, uh, six followers joined April two thousand and nine, and has not tweeted. So it's very similar to my Blenderhead, the person that has Blenderhead that hasn't tweeted in God knows how long. Also, they just took it. Squirrel Patrol. I wonder if I can, I wonder if I could get the handle right. Like, <laughs> I do you which do you think is more valuable to you, the Squirrel Patrol Twitter handle, or NBA Top Shot? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at least like, if I pay money. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> would you pay? Would you pay money for at Squirrel Patrol? Would you? Would Probably. you try to find Haley T? Because like I'm not that into the like I'm not that into the content, right? I I often wonder. Like I should try to be more anonymous than I <laughs> than right. I you am, think right? you'd rather have have you know bang your head against the keyboard and that's your Twitter handle, rather yeah. than yeah, like I yeah. So I, I I don't necessarily I don't know like what I would do with Scroll. I got if, if somebody's trying to tweet angrily at Squirrel Patrol, let 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 whoever Haley is you know <laughs> let, let let her deal with that. Right. They have they haven't responded. Let let's let's see. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna look on Twitter and see if there's anyone that has tweeted at Squirrel Patrol. Let's see recently, because maybe maybe someone has. I've Let's seen, see. yeah, I've seen a couple of times. Like people have put like a bunch of like a username, uh, like, and like and uh, somebody will say like at Squirrel Patrol, and I'll think like that's not me. <laughs> right, nothing recently. All right. No, so I, I guess you'd rather you'd rather it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but if people want to follow you, Jay Brezel. Because I probably because because you couldn't get Jay Breslin, that's why you, it's Jay Brezel. I think so. I think I just wanted it to be shorter. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those things. Oh, it just happened to be in the lineup, right? Oh, there's no there's no absolute reason for it at all. Yeah. And then uh, if people subscribe to Roto Grinders, they could uh, hear your stuff on Crunch Time and Q Hunting, and uh, obviously, as 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 usual, just like your Twitter profile, you know where they could find you. On the leaderboards, yeah. Right, on t- <laughs> right above you in the leaderboards on yeah. DraftKings and FanDuel. So, so thanks, thanks for coming on for you know just showing like kind of the inside of like how a quote professional player thinks that it's and it's it's not magic. Like it's like yeah. I think I think what we've said throughout the show is quite sensible and normal. You're not some bot or something, right? You're not some fake. You know, oh, you, you know, some system. I have the supercomputer. It's like we're just normal people. Yeah, that's a it's a huge compliment. I when because when I first started playing DFS, I always assumed it was like some kind of Russian hedge fund supercomputer thing. <laughs> you know, like all these usernames I didn't recognize, but they're consistently at the top. So it's it's you know incredible compliment that somebody could be thinking that about me. But yeah, just a regular <laughs> guy. Right, we're 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 real people. We're real people. Yeah. And if you're if you want to become like one of our as a real person, go buy uh, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports fifteen hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com.